The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his apostles, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. For whoever receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives only a cup of cold water to one of these little ones to drink because the little one is a disciple, amen, I say to you, he will surely not lose his reward. The Gospel of the Lord. In one of our readings recently, Paul was writing to one of his churches and, and he was boasting in his weaknesses. If you recall, he was reminding people about how he had been marooned on an island like five times and kidnapped four times and beaten 30 times. And it just was like a really odd resume of boasts. And I've been thinking, this past Thursday was the day a year ago I moved into St. Bernard's. And I'm thinking, what's my weak boasting I can do? How many times have I been beaten? None. Okay. How many times have I been tortured? Well, it depends on how we want to define that. <laughs> so, but just like, wow, it's been a year. And, and some of that seems really, really fast. Some of that seems really, really short. And it's just great to, to realize, like, wow, there's so much yet ahead of us. So when we hear this gospel reading today, it is one that just oozes with controversy. It just seems like a controversial gospel, doesn't it? If we take things at the surface level, if we choose to just look at it for like what's right there, uh, we're going to misinterpret things. That's, this is life. We will misinterpret all sorts of things if we just take it at the face value. So hearing, reading, interpreting Scripture, it requires a whole assortment of tools. Uh, it requires a whole openness of investigation. And here's just a couple for us to, to consider today. One is understanding the context. We have to know what else is he saying around this particular subject matter. We also maybe need to consider culture and how Jesus is speaking 2,000 years ago to Jewish people. And that that culture might be different than 2023 Wabash, Indiana culture. So context, culture, and even this. We have this in English. I'm so grateful for that because it would be hard if it was in a different language. 
But Scripture wasn't written in English. <laughs> it was written in Hebrew, translated into Greek, Latin. And so it's important that we even go back and look at these words and, and how they're defined. So let's look at the context first. Jesus is saying, if you don't hate father, mother, son, daughter, all these people, you won't have life with me. But what did he say just last week even? Just last week, Jesus reminded the disciples multiple times in a very small portion, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid of the one who can take your body, who can kill you physically. He says, do be afraid of the one who can kill body and soul. And he's referring to himself, like there should be a healthy fear of God that we possess that actually moves us and encourages us to follow and believe what he's teaching. So Jesus, as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world, who has been sent by God the Father, is here to make sure that we know what is at stake when it comes to our souls, to our eternal realities. Jesus is here to heal the division that occurred with Adam, to reunite us to God. So that's part of what's leading up to this, this gospel section today, is he's already been telling them about these things like, don't be afraid of losing your life, but be afraid of losing your soul and your life. And the section ended, if we recall, Jesus saying, if you acknowledge me, I'll acknowledge you. And if you deny me, I'll deny you. And it sounds really harsh. But Jesus is supposed to be so loving and accepting, and he is. But Jesus has criteria. He says, if you want to follow me, you have to do these things. And there's all sorts of other sections of the Gospels we hear this, where he gives the Beatitudes, where he explains, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He expounds on a teaching. We had uh, the John Gospel on Corpus Christi, where he stakes the entire salvation of the world, the whole proclamation of, of him dying and, and being resurrected and, and saving us, because the disciples are the ones who are going to share that story. He stakes all of that on the teaching of the Eucharist, that, that the bread and the wine are the body and blood, his body and blood. He stakes everything on these teachings. So it makes sense that he would have a, a criteria to say, if you're not doing this, if you're not following me, there's consequences. But if you are, there's rewards. Sometimes we hone too much on the consequence part, like, oh, he's such a mean God. He's also a really great God because, if you, I don't know if you've noticed this lately, but, like, we're all kind of awful people sometimes. I mean, how many people have, like, probably had, like, a negative thought in the last week? Like, only four of us. Cool, cool. <laughs> That's why my confession lines are so small. That makes more sense now. Ah, oh, there's no sinners here in Wabash. But for, for those of us that are the sinners, myself included, he gives us this awesome sacrament called confession to go and be healed. Like, it's really cool. I went on Wednesday. I felt so much better. So he ends that section. Again, this is context. This is building right now. I'm building us. 
Now let's look at culture for just a moment. The word family has a much wider meaning in Aramaic and in Hebrew than what English can ever offer. In the Hebrew, uh, it gets kind of summed in this ah, and then in Aramaic it's aha, and it could refer to brothers, sisters, half-brothers, half-sisters, cousins, near relations. So when we hit that one passage that we all hear about where like uh, the mother of Jesus and his disciples are outside, and he's like, who are my mother and my brothers? He's talking about his cousins and his near relatives. He's talking about the bigger family, okay? So culturally, the extended family and even familial networks are not understood the same way that we understand them right now. It was every Jewish person's duty to maintain and depend upon the familial ties. We don't have quite the same necessity anymore. I mean, people move a lot more often. In that time, like, that would have been that would have been very odd if you moved far away from your family. So the concept that we probably consider of like the nuclear family living completely independent was an unknown concept in the ancient world. That said, among Jewish people, each family was considered an independent unit. The, the husband was the, 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 was the leader of the household. Um, they had an authority uh, over uh, their wives and their children, and yet there was an amazing interdependence upon that. And you could see how, while the, the man took on the role of the authority and the leadership and, and the decision-making, the reality was the house wouldn't have functioned without the wife. And the thing is, the husbands knew that. They were very well aware that without her, this all falls apart. In fact, most of the times, the wives would get extra money for the house because of their little side jobs. And then the kids, they actually had to like, be obedient. They owed everything to their parents. So it wasn't like, all right, I'm the authority, do everything I say. But it's like, I'm the authority, honor that, and I honor your role. And, and she and the woman in her role like, acknowledges his authority, but also like, keeps everything running and functioning. And the kids just then like, have to listen to mom and dad. So when we know that, like, that's the cultural element, like what family looks like, and even now the contextual element of this is what Jesus is doing. Like, this is why he's saying this to us. When he says, if you love father, mother, husband, wife, son, daughter, more than me, there's a problem, that should catch our attention. We should say, hmm, why is he saying that? Instead of it just being, oh, he's a mean God or controversial, what is he getting at here? Love your father, your mother, your sons, your daughters, but love them, this is the key way, love them ordinately, meaning love them in the proper order. Love them in the proper order of relation to God. So let's think about that. Jesus bids parents not to attempt what is impossible by assuming that their love of their children can be rightly compared with their love towards God. Every house, this is what Jerome is saying, every house contains both unbelievers and believers. And that would have been very accurate around this early time of the church. And because there would be unbelievers and believers, there would be conflict. And sometimes even a necessary conflict that would then break 
necessary, that the conflict is necessary to break then this evil piece. Like, because too often, this is for more of a modern era problem. Too often, we are content with keeping the peace at the sake of losing our values or losing our principles. Well, I guess I'll go to that invalid marriage because I want to keep the peace in my family. Or, you know what, I don't, I don't need to follow those church teachings. It's, it's just too complex. And, and honestly, the kids' sports, they're just way more important right now because I, I want them to know they're loved. Brothers and sisters, that is wrong. We have to be so much more con- like cognizant of losing our soul than losing our, our life. It's not easy, especially when it's been a habitual thing reiterated through centuries, but it's not easy. Now, let's go, go back to it. So love your father, love your mother, love your sons, love your daughters. If a time comes when love for a parent and for the children of God are in conflict and both cannot be maintained, then forthright rejection of your family may be the higher form of familial loyalty in relation to God. Because by baptism, we have been made sons and daughters to God the Father. We're in a family. I will love you in Christ, not instead of Christ. This is a, it's such a beautiful concept for us to consider. I will love you in Christ, not instead of Christ. So as a parent who has been given, like, the gift of parenthood, who has been chosen to bring life into the world, you love the child in Christ, not instead of Christ. Like, okay, I have them. I don't need to worry about you anymore, God. I love them in Christ. So you will be with me in him. That's, like, that's when Jesus says, like, this says, get really repetitive, like, I'm in you and you're in me. It's like, because Christ is in us, and through us we give Christ away. But we don't, we don't care for Christ, they say. And I care for Christ more than I care for you. Should I obey the ones who raised me and lose the one who created me? That's the question that's posed. Should I obey the ones who raised me and lose the one who, who created me? And that, again, is a very hard concept especially when you have those families with the unbelievers, which is why there'd be this conflict. Because there wouldn't be a sense of loyalty to God. It'd be loyalty to the unit. But Jesus kind of further emphasizes this. He says, you're gonna, we have to take up our cross. Right? And it's an image that demands and con- the consequences of discipleship. So it should not not be a surprise to us anymore that it costs us something to follow the Lord. It costs us something, and that's okay. Jesus, the Jews needed no explanation of this because this was a reality for them. Crucifixion was the norm in their time. You screwed up, you got crucified by the Romans. That was punishment. So when he says, take up your cross, they know exactly what he means. We've, we've watered it down to this well, I guess, I guess my spouse, you know, that's just the cross I got to take up today. No, your spouse is a gift. Taking up our cross means things, things are going to cost us, and it's, it's hard things. 
It's at the end of the day telling my mom truths about the faith, about actions and decisions. Even though I'm her son, I'm a priest. And if I don't tell her, who's going to tell her? It's telling my friends who are like family hard truths. It's telling my parishioners hard truths because I love them and I care way more about their souls than if they like me at the end of the day. I do want to be liked, but I will for sure put your soul ahead of you liking me, just so you're aware. So it's going to cost us something. If we want to take our faith seriously, then we realize people will mock us. People will oppose us. We will look like the weirdos because we are standing for something much more important than just earthly gratification, pleasure, the, the mundane uh, accolades of the world. We are standing for something that is eternal. You still owe them obedience. You still owe them love, but not above me. Proper order is critical here. When it comes back to that idea of sacrifice, when we come to adoration, we come to give love and worship and praise to God. We come to give him time. We come to be in his presence, to be loved by him. It's a good thing. It's also hard. But this can become our gift and our sacrifice. So begin praying, truly praying and discerning, what times, what spots do I think I can come here and give myself to the Lord? I can sacrifice things because I want to love God in the proper order, more than all the other stuff of the world. You might be wondering, well, do I have to be Catholic to go to adoration? No, you do not. In fact, it's an awesome opportunity to bring in our Christian brothers and sisters to come and just be present to the Lord. You could do this as a family. You could do this as an individual. You could do this as groups. There's no limitations to how we can do this. But this is our way to begin loving God. He gives us controversial things on the surface, but deep down, he ultimately wants our souls to be cared for, to be nurtured, not to negate or uh, neglect um, the people around us, but to allow ourselves to be properly filled by him so that we can give ourselves away to others. Brothers and sisters, the greatest gift for me this past year has been getting to know you and to give myself away. I love it. I love it. I wouldn't imagine anything else in my life than to be able to give myself to you in the ways that I do. And there's even more I know I can do. There's even more I, I know I need to sacrifice. There's even more I need to cut out and trim out because God's going to invite me into that. Our prayer today is to begin asking, what do I need to cut out? What are some of the things I can begin to cut out so I can make that space for him? so I can love him to the best of my ability because he's made me, because he's loved me. So that's our prayer, to look forward to what lies ahead in these coming years, to see what more the Lord is willing and ready to do for us here at St. Bernard's.